Oh, again, good morning. Um, it is good to be here um, with you and to continue our journey through Advent. We've been in this sermon series now for uh, two weeks, our second week, and we've been considering the gifts of Advent. And last week we considered the gift of hope. And this week we're looking at the gift of peace. You know, that's, that's quite a gift, right? I mean, think about this season, how hectic everything can be, and the parties, the gatherings, the travel, um, everything involved with Christmas and Advent and everything that's happening. And, and, and life doesn't stop just because we are in this season. So peace is really important for us. And as I think about this whole notion of peace, I, and we all have these instances where um, life just feels chaotic, right? I mean, we, we've all been in that place, in that time where life is just, it's beyond our control. It may, chaos may have been of our own doing, it may be of our own undoing, but we have no control over it. At least that's what it feels like. And, and this sense of, of lack of control and this sense of chaos, I, I, I have this... I know we all have many instances, but there's one particular instance in my life that just kind of screams chaos, no control, helplessness, hopelessness. And this was a youth trip. And um, right then, you, everybody begins to understand, yeah, teenagers, chaos, hopelessness, helplessness. <laughs> We were on a, uh, a youth trip. This was a choir trip. We had gone to um, North Carolina to Lake Junaluska, the assembly up there. You know, I'm at this camp. It's huge. And it was a musical arts week. And so our uh, choir director arranged for this trip to go up to uh, Lake Junaluska uh, for liturgical, liturgical arts and, and arts worship week. And so there were hundreds of youth there. Um, I mean, hundreds. And we took, I don't know, Leanne, what's it, 30 or 40 um, youth, somewhere in that neighborhood. We took, up, we took a, bus, a, a, took a bus up there, and um, we arrived, and we began to unload the bus, and it was one of these big, you know, the big, big bus, so we underneath, we're pulling out all this stuff, and so we're pulling out all the luggage, and we're pulling out boxes of food, and we're pulling out um, coolers of food and drinks, and we're pulling out more luggage and more food and more snacks and more food. Just food was coming out because we, we were taking care of our own. We, we cooked our own meals. We provided our own food, our own snacks. And that was kind of the arrangement that we kind of went up there with. And we were staying in this really large house. So just imagine 30 or 40 teenagers and a handful of adults. And I, I, I'm not sure why I went. I'm not sure why I was invited. I think it must have been the kindness or the cruelty of our choir director. Um, but he invited me to go up and be one of the chaperones. And on the very first day, they sent me back early. We want you to go back to the house early. Go back and, because at lunchtime, the youth are going to start coming back. We need somebody there to kind of control things. They're going to come back and they want lunch. You don't have to cook lunch. Just be there to welcome them and calm things down and make sure that you know, the, the other adults are going to show up. We had teams arranged that were going to... Adults were going to kind of lead the, the cooking each for lunch, for breakfast, for supper. And um, so I was just there to kind of be a guardrail, I guess. And so about 12, 12.30 or so, the youth began to stream back into the house. And they had walked maybe a half a mile, 
three quarters of a mile to get back to the house. And it was hot. It was in the summer. And they, they came in, and I began to watch them as they began to circle the living room and the front porch. And then as more gathered, they began to kind of, their circles began to get bigger, and they kind of got into the kitchen. They were getting to circle around in the kitchen. And I'm trying to maintain calm. I'm saying, people, they're, you know, they're going to come, they're going to cook lunch. And, well, that, that wasn't doing it. They began, they began to get more hectic, frantic. And they all had like this blank stare in their eyes and their lips were dry and they were just had these quirky uh, fidgeting movements as they kind of went from place to place and circle to circle. And, and they began to open up cabinets and drawers and slamming things and going into the freezer, into the kitchen, into the, into the coolers, into the boxes. And they, it was just like, it was chaos. And I was standing in between the kitchen and the living room trying to get a handle on just what was happening. And they were pulling out pots and pans. They were pulling out pizza rolls. They were pulling out Pop-Tarts. They were pulling out cereal boxes, boxes of macaroni and cheese. There was water boiling on the stove. There was a, a, fire, a, a frying pan on the stove. They were, they were, and the oven was on. And there was just stuff going everywhere. And I'm like, what is happening and I was like, I was afraid we were going to catch the house on fire or someone was going to get hurt in this feeding frenzy. And so I'm standing there in the middle of these two rooms and finally a, a mother comes in. And she walks in and she stands about next to me and she goes, what's going on? I said, I really don't know. And she said, I don't even know what. But it was like peace just settled over the room. She said, y'all get out of the kitchen. And so all the youth just filed out of the kitchen. And the silence fell over the house. And they were kind of sitting around the living room. They went up to their rooms. They kind of got out of the way. Because this mother comes into the house. She doesn't see like I see. She doesn't hear like I hear. She doesn't perceive like I perceive. And she brought a sense of peace over that house and over that room. And then she went about the business of getting lunch ready. I was floored. I went out on the front porch and just sat in it for, I mean, I was just like, I don't know. I have no idea what has happened for the past 15 minutes. But no one was hurt. The house is still standing as far as I know. But this sense of just sitting in chaos, this sitting in darkness, this sitting in helplessness and hopelessness, that's, that's, it's one of my more funny ways of looking at chaos. But when we read the book of Isaiah and we hear the prophet Isaiah talk about chaos, he is in tune with chaos. When the prophet Isaiah arrives on the scene. It's in the 720s B.C. And he is born in the southern kingdom. He works in the northern and southern kingdoms. And the Assyrian Empire and the king of Assyria has invaded the northern kingdom, Israel. And Israel cannot 
withstand this onslaught. And eventually, the capital of Israel, Samaria, falls. The king is killed. And now this amassed army is now on the borders of Judah. And now Judah is a vassal of Assyria. They now pay tribute to Assyria. The king pays tribute. He gives the king of Assyria whatever the king demands. Gold, silver, soldiers, resources, weapons of war, chariots, crops, food, whatever. They now are at the beckoning call of the king of Assyria. Isaiah has been watching all of this. He's been trying to help the kings understand their role. And now this, this country of Israel, after its defeat and destruction, the people are then scattered all over the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians bring in all the exiles and refugees from other parts of the, of the empire and settle these refugees and exiles in Israel. Their home, their country is changed forever. And when we read the New Testament, we read about Samaria and how hated the Samaritans are by the Jewish people. That's where it comes from. So all the refugees and the exiles from the Assyrian Empire are now in Israel. So Isaiah is looking at all of this. And people um, are worried. They are, have these blank stares in their eyes. And they're wandering around their cities and their countrysides. Figuring out what, where is help going to come from? What are we going to do? Who's going to help us? What is going to help us? And Isaiah enters the room, enters the house. And he goes to the king of Judah. And he goes to the people of Judah. And he offers them this powerful, powerful word, a promise. A promise of hope and of peace. I invite us to hear these Words from Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, or read 10 verses. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But the righteousness he shall judge, the, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the, with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the winged child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No, we don't have this experience that Isaiah has of witnessing an amassed army marching through one country and then perched and ready to launch on our country. But we don't have to look very far back and to see images of what that kind of destruction looks like. You can look online in history books and see pictures of Berlin and London, pictures of Dresden after World War II. You can see children sitting in rubble in ruins, weeping, wondering where their parents are, where their home is located, because everything has been blown apart and burned out. Homes lie in ruin. Cities lie in ruin. Bricks strewn across streets, across courtyards and parks. There's nothing left. And everything looks hopeless and helpless. We don't have to go that far back. We can see images and hear reports in Kiev. We can remember the reports out of Aleppo. It's everywhere. Chaos and violence are everywhere. We don't have to go as far away as Aleppo or Kiev. We can look at our own city and our own neighborhoods, at our own families in our own homes and know that all of us are dealing with some form or fashion of chaos, some kind of loss. Something of death and darkness has crept into our worlds. We've all faced it, we've all seen it, or we all will. It's a certainty. But this is the promise of Isaiah even as we face this helpless and hopelessness, a chaos that we cannot control, a world that feels so hopeless and helpless, a world that can be so violent and warlike, when diplomacies don't help and fighting doesn't work, we're left sitting in the middle of the ruins. Even when the rest of the world, our neighbors and our family members, our church family, our co-workers, the world outside sees a normal family, a normal life. We've all had to face chaos. 
And to some degree or another, we have sat in the middle of ruins. And here comes Isaiah to offer this promise that God will enter our chaos, will enter our hopelessness and our helplessness, to enter the ruins of our worlds when our world has changed so much. God steps in and he offers a word of hope. He tells us that a day is coming, a day is surely coming when an, when an offspring of David will come into the world and will be a king like unlike the world has ever seen and will offer the world light in the midst of darkness, life um, in the midst of death, order out of chaos, peace out of violence and war. A Savior who offers hope, who helps us. Our Season of Advent reminds us, serves to remind us that that day has arrived and continues to arrive as we look forward to the birth of the Christ child, the King of the world, the Lord of lords and the Prince of peace. Every second Sunday in Advent is dedicated to the ministry of John the Baptist We haven't talked about John the Baptist much. But we have talked about his ministry and his proclamation just about every week. If we look, if we look in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 76, we hear a prophecy about John the Baptist. We hear a word about John the Baptist's ministry, his call. His call is our call. In the midst of ruin, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a world that is broken and dark, we, along with John the Baptist, can proclaim this ministry. John the Baptist's father says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the, by the forgiveness of their sins. And we proclaim with John the Baptist, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the good news. This is the good news of Advent. That no matter what we are going through as individuals, as families, as communities, as churches, that we have a God who steps into the mess with us, who steps into our life and into our world and offers us help and hope, offers us order, offers us peace and hope. No matter what. No matter how hopeless we feel or helpless we feel, no matter what we have lost, God is stepping into this world to show a light. And that light is Jesus Christ. And that is the way to live in a world of chaos.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.